52 episodes, 52 ordinary people, 52 real stories about things that affect overall health. Because there is a lot more that goes into being healthy than food and fitness. Inspiration, support, a new perspective, and knowledge. You'll find that and more here on the HealthAbility Project. Hi, welcome to the HealthAbility Project. I'm Robin McKenna. Imagine, as an adult, being in a country where you can't form friendships with neighbors or coworkers because you don't know the language well enough. Imagine not being able to communicate with a doctor when you, your kids, or your parents are sick. The ability to communicate, which also allows us to connect with others, has a profound effect on our overall health and well-being. Now imagine the people that teach adults English. How do you think giving people the ability to communicate affects their health and well-being? Sure, there are the ups and downs that go along with being a teacher. Add in that these teachers are also providing a tool that will unlock a better existence for those adults and their families, and that these teachers are witness to how that tool begins to impact their students and their families. Here to share her story of how teaching English as a second language to adults affected her overall health and well-being is Danielle Gines. Danielle taught English as a second language for adult immigrant and refugee populations in the North Texas area for almost a decade. In 2019, she had the opportunity to spend four months in Cambodia teaching in a female empowerment program through the Harpswell Foundation. Since then, she has combined her master's in nonprofit management and classroom experiences to build a curriculum consultancy for non-governmental organizations, also known as NGOs, and domestic nonprofits looking to create relevant and sustainable program curricula. Thanks so much for joining us today, Danielle. I'm really glad to have you here. Thank you, Robin. I'm excited. So we all know that what we do for a living influences our health and well-being. And what I find so unique about what Danielle has done in her career is that not only did it affect her overall health and well-being, it influenced the health and well-being of those she worked with. Danielle is an ESL teacher, and she has worked for many years with adults and teaching them English as a second language. And, you know, listeners, for those of you who are American or, or, or speak English fluently, imagine coming to this country and having very little command of the language you need to have in order to live your life. And, you know, what Danielle has done is, is just extraordinary. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Danielle. I'm curious to hear what drew you to becoming a teacher of English as a second language and and obviously how it affected your health and well-being, the ups, the downs. Um, you know, like any teacher, I'm sure there are frustrations, but working with adults and trying to teach them a new language must have its own set of joys and, and frustrations. And then, you know, would also like to hear how you saw the transformation evolve with these individuals who were gaining command of, of the English language. 
So thanks again. Thank you. I love that introduction. Um, so how I got started is it's always a funny story. And even my students would laugh because they, so the international community would often call me teacher. And so it's always funny in the United States, it's like miss or, you know, um, so they would be like, teacher, you know, you always wanted to be a teacher. And the truth is I've lived the life of nevers. Um, everyone in my family is involved in education in some way. And so in 2009, I'd returned from a year of working on farms in Australia, real random life, and I needed a job and it was a recession. And my mom said, you have a bachelor's in English. You should teach English as a second language. There's an opening at the community college. And I was like, no, I don't want to be like everyone in this family, but I needed a job. <laughs> so I know, right? Never say never, truly. Yeah. And so I went to speak to the director and she said, let's start you with one class. You will have, you'll be a co-teacher. Um, and then to make it even more interesting, my mom taught in the same department and she was the most senior teacher. So she was my co-teacher mentor. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> for an interesting so, dynamic. Oh, uh, oh, it was. I, I called her the colonel, if that tells you anything. <laughs> <laughs> so she was co-teaching me in, or we were co-teaching and she was mentoring me in the morning. And then in the evening, I, I had my a solo class. And so that was kind of the moment where I led everything. And I remember I still to this day, I'm in 2009, and I still remember everything so clearly walking in. And it was like a temporary building because the school, the, the population where I live in Southeast Arlington, we have a very um, large international population. And so we, you know, this, they had temporary um, buildings because the college couldn't build fast enough for all the students who were attending. And, um, I mean, there were three rows of students and they were all older than me. And they looked kind of like, um, you're my teacher. You could be my daughter. And I remember thinking, all right, like be professional. And I wrote my name on the board, Ms. Gines and the date and the homework. And I turned around and there was something in their eyes. Like when they saw that, they're like, okay, she is our teacher. And I felt like from head to toe, Robin, I felt this click that, I realized this is where I need to be. We focus so much on, oh, what I want and my future life and, you know, uh, mood boards and vision boards. But where do you need to be? And that's usually going to intersect with people, right? Where you can benefit people. Um, and for me, it's been teaching and education. Uh, and mm -hmm. so... And it was a level one beginner class. So, you know, they were just a step above, how are you? My name is. Um, and it, it was just amazing. Their trust, you know, they opened their books, everything I wrote down, they wrote down. It was just, it was really, really incredible. It's interesting that you say where you need to be. And it's so true. We, we focus so much on what we want and where we want to be. And, and we have really ignored need in the sense that where can you deploy what you have to give to others exactly. and so that is just fascinating that you really you really really clicked on that the very yeah. first day of your first yeah. your first solo class mm -hmm. what was it what was it like with the people in the class as far as was it a mixture of men and women what was their ethnic mm -hmm. background 
Did they share any stories with you, where they came from, how they were settling in in, in Texas or uh, in the country? Yeah. Um, so when I first started, and that was the most amazing thing to see, is in 2009, there was just the beginning of refugee resettlement from Iraq and Afghanistan. And then, um, so I had, of course, it's Texas. So we had a lot of immigrants from Mexico. And then we started to see the increase from Iraq, Afghanistan. And then, I mean, by the time I would say after my 10 year mark, like 2019, you would have five to six languages in a classroom but then you would have maybe 10 cultures. So the Spanish speaking cultures an increase in South Americans and Central Americans, especially Venezuela, um, Nicaragua and Honduras. And then we have a huge influx with Southeast Asia, India and Vietnam um, particularly. And, you know, there's, in our curriculum, we would have, it was holistic, which I am a big advocate for. I don't think you should separate you know, today is only grammar. You really need to have a thread, which has increased my life philosophy because everything is connected, right? You need to know why, especially as an adult learner, you need to know why something is relevant to you because, you know, everything is impacted economically. What is this going to do for me, my family, our future, what mm -hmm. our needs are? So we would have everything all at once in one day one lesson and then connected to how do we write that or how would we have that you know vocabulary in a conversation and that's our and reading and writing no student likes it i think even american students don't like reading and writing but that's where a lot of revelations happen mm -hmm. where your brain kind of gets to slow down and you process what's going on and so a large part something that i think a lot of esl teachers or instructors or educators, whichever you prefer to call them, um, they don't realize is you need to also know things like culture shock uh, because you could have a student come in and be so angry and you're like, what is going on? Like what happened in your day? And it's not what happened in your day. It's what's happening in your life. Mm. Imagine starting from scratch. Your degree is defunct you're struggling in a language your brain is is at an adult level and you open your mouth and you feel like a 12 year old you know your children have to translate and that's very very mm -hmm. sometimes humbling to the point where it can feel humiliating yeah i mean yeah the level of stress and pressure on these adults you know most of them are not here alone right they've brought families or maybe they've arrived with the expectation that they are going to be the support of the family that's already here and, and really contribute. And, you know, I think also, too, as an adult, we, you know, th there is that extra level of expectation we place on ourselves, And so sometimes it makes it maybe a little bit harder to learn. When you started and you, you knew that you needed to be there, mm -hmm. did you... I mean, over the course of time, you must have said to yourself, yeah, I'm really glad I did this. Or did you expect the the impact that it had on you? Did you expect that that is what would happen? That's a great question. I never, you know, I started teaching because I needed a job. And in fact, I'll share this story um, with you. It was 
our most advanced levels, and it was probably a couple years into when I was teaching, they're the kind of like the culmination, like we created this little like final exam, quote unquote, uh, was to read a book in English, a chapter book, you know, mm-hmm. and then um, and it could be of their choice. It, did, it couldn't be Dora or Clifford or anything, but something that would, you know, push them a little. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is our most advanced level. And so they had to read the book, uh, write a report and then give a 10 minute presentation. And so it was just kind of getting all the different language skills and a student. And again, clear as day, I can still see him wearing gray polo tucked in black belt, black pants. And he gave a report about a book called a Frindle and I'd never read it. It's like a fifth, sixth grade level book. Um, And so he finished it. He gave the report. It was great. And then the next week he came back to class and he's like, teacher, I have to tell you something. And I'm like, sure, what is it? He's like, you know that book report. And any teacher knows that anytime a student says, I have to tell you something, you kind of hold your breath like, oh boy, what's gonna happen? And he goes, so in my job, so he was a truck driver. He goes, I've been in my job, you know, 10, 15 years. And every week there's a meeting and they call us in and they, you know, our manager tries very hard to get our input as truck drivers, but a lot of us struggle with English so we can pass the the exam, but, you know, to drive the truck and of course get a license, but that kind of back and forth of giving feedback for the company, you know, they didn't feel comfortable. And he goes, I raised my hand and I said, you know, we've been having this problem consistently on the road. I th- I think this would be a good solution. And he goes, oh, you know, my, my supervisor, he turned around and says, Hector, I didn't know you could speak English. And wow. I was just in shock because I thought you just, I saw it on his face. He went from invisible to out in the ocean, you know, our ocean, out in the center stage, just out like he acknowledged. You could see there was no going back for him. And he goes, teacher, I thought, Hector, you gave a presentation in English. You can say two sentences to your supervisor and just know that that moment right there, like the things we do in class just ripple, just ripple in ways that I never imagined. How did that make you feel when he shared that story with you and you saw that he went from being invisible to highly visible? I, first of all, I was so proud because he, to me, and that was the thing, like you see people in any industry, you see a lens, right? You see them through, okay, you're my student. I see you interact every day. I see how smart you are. He was, he was my smartest student. His English was so good. His understanding of uh, nuances and culture. And I was, I was shocked that he had tucked himself away in his workplace. And yet that a book report, you know, stuff that we probably roll our eyes at in, in grade school, that he, that promoted him to like that mental flip of, I'm never going back. Right. You know, like I know this language, I'm claiming being bilingual, and I'm gonna live in every sense of the word. And I was just, I mean, I was fighting back tears, you know? And mm-hmm. and he's like, you okay? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I'm so proud of you. I'm like, oh my gosh, get it together. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's the gift of language, right? And these people come here searching for 
a, a better way of life for the most part. And the key to that is being able to communicate. You, you can become a better neighbor when you can communicate. Mm -hmm. You have a better connection with your children's teachers. You can call for help. You can explain sickness to people. Um, mm -hmm. So it sounds like that class for that, that person in particular was so empowering, but also such a confidence booster. And, you know, I'm sure th these are not things that you were thinking about when you went in to teach that you were going to give people confidence or give them this level no. of empowerment to improve their right. lives. And right. so to be able to see that must have really made it all yeah. worth it. Yeah. It, and you're, you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, when we were, you know, doing professional development or we never talk about the impact of the human side. Um, it was always, you know, make sure you're meeting your metrics and make right. sure that you're right. getting through your curriculum. Right. Uh, but there's so much more to that. You really do have to embrace the human element um, and teaching international students. It makes it um, <laughs> even more challenging sometimes because you have to, I found myself studying about cultures, you know, outside yeah. of the class and learning history. You know, there are some cultures that um, they conflict and they remember, I mean, I had a Cambodian student and a Vietnamese student and they were young. They weren't around during the genocide or any of the, you know, the wars back, you know, starting in the sixties and seventies, but their families, right. Had told them. And so, I mean, my Cambodian student looked over, says, look, let's not talk history right now. Okay. Um, and so I, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to learn about this so I can facilitate better because they're not going to learn if they don't feel safe. And a lot of language, you know, instruction is partner and group work. Um, so yeah, you have to pick up a lot of extra things along the way. You mentioned earlier about things, uh, the way that you teach the technical side, needing for it to be relatable and, and the diversity of culture and ethnicity in the individual classroom, you know, which is interesting because there is such a commonality, though, of all these very different individuals who come because they're all there for the same reason. And it must be unifying in a way or, mm -hmm. you know, did it help them collaborate better or did they drop their guard? You know, you mentioned the, the Vietnamese and the Cambodian students. Um, you know, I would assume there are some cultures where, you know, men and women should be separate. And, right. you know, it, just watching that unfold over the course of 10 years, I mean, it must have been eye opening. It really, really was. And it's just, it's like, we don't realize that our cultures have personalities. We think, especially as Americans, oh, we have an individualistic culture, but we do have a group culture. And so one of the things I started early on realizing we do need to unify, we need to touch base on our goals. And so I would have, even though it was the first day, just five points on the board, introduce yourself to the class. And the last point was always, I want to learn English because, and I, you know, depending on the level, you know, I would leave it open-ended. If it were an advanced class, they could come up with their own reasons. If it were um, a lower level class uh, in terms of language development, I would write down a lot of the common things like you talked about, you know, I want to talk to my neighbors. I want to get a better job. I want to talk to my children's teacher. Um, I want to feel good 
when I talk to the doctor, I want to understand. And, you know, they could copy answers or add their own. Um, so that throughout our time together, it was always like, remember, you know, she also wants to talk to her children's teacher. Is there any advice you want to share about that? And just kind of rerouting uh, any friction. But um, definitely with some of the the Middle Eastern cultures, I had to be more careful with female and male because, you know, it's, you want to respect their culture. Um, and I saw it firsthand, you know, where, especially if they came as a couple, husband and wife, that always got very interesting and problematic because they felt like, all right, I guess we'll always be a partner team. And I would, you know, say, oh, well, you know, Halima, would you like to work with Monica today? Um, you know, her partner is absent. And, you know, believe it or not, the wife would always be so excited to have a different partner. <laughs> but it would, if you can imagine, but of course, it had to be female. So I knew that. Right. And I was like, we're well, just going to make this work. <laughs> and how would the, was the husband okay with that? If the husband, um, if I partnered him, of course, with another male student, it, and that was another thing, you know, it was always like, oh, well, now I can talk to someone who hasn't heard my stories. Right. So, yeah, yeah. You were creating <laughs> friendships and relationships within the parameter of the technical reason for being there. Exactly. Yeah, a huge sign of success for me was when I would see students after class, you know, look for each other on Facebook or exchange numbers. Or um, there was one group, I remember they're like, they had all the assignments done early. And I thought, oh, wow, like five of you? That was very ambitious. And five of you, one or two. And they're like, yes, teacher, we got together for coffee down the street. So they went outside of their little enclave in the neighborhood wow. and got together and then did you know, the assignments ahead of time. I, I was like, my work is done. I can retire. And they loved it when I would say that, like, my work is done. I, I'm going to take my badge off. My work is done. And they'd be like, oh, my gosh, teacher, your work is done. <laughs> was there ever a point where you became so frustrated, whatever the reason may be, whether it was the bureaucracy of the school or just the clash of cultures or students not doing their homework that you thought that's it I'm quitting this is not for me and how yes. did you how did you get past that yes oh it's a great question and especially now because educators are feeling so crunched so you know so unsupported and unfortunately you know and because I was in higher ed and it was a community college but still there was that bureaucracy um, where changes were being made to the curriculum, changes were being made to the schedule, changes were being made to um, the standard as who would become ESL teachers. Yes. And not once were current staff or students were they asked any supporting questions. And that was probably the biggest frustration is when it comes, you know, these are students that have gone through a lot of change. Right. And I always think of it like being in a washing machine. You know, you're tumbling around, you're trying to find your footing um, to get right side up. And for some, it's amazing. They hit their stride very early. And for others, it takes time. Uh, and so any 
opportunity you have to be produce stability, right? And that's when it comes to teaching, if you can consistency, I think that's the, my biggest lesson is, you know, even for myself, like during the pandemic, it was go back to my teacher habits, you know, what's my routine? What can I control? You know, time management, all of that comes from my time in the classroom, because that gave my students comfort in, I know it's coming next. I don't know what's happening when I leave this room, but I know it's coming next. And so to have an institution create more turmoil uh, than stability was, it was really hard because then you're the, you know, the messenger mm -hmm. and students look at you like, why, why, you know? So, oh my goodness. Yeah. And so what would you say to yourself when you would get to those dark points of wanting to throw the towel in? <laughs> Um, I, it's hard at, well, and I'm sure a lot of teachers can agree or anyone who's in the service and, you know, type industries, when you see your impact, especially direct impact, those light bulbs that come on, it, it does keep you going. Um, but I think a lot of change what you can change, you know, and don't just be quiet about it. You know, I would try to I mean, yeah, I remember sending emails to my director and, and being like, you know, th there's a reason that I'm upset about this and this is why. And just being able to explain it, even if they don't go uh, and they didn't always or never go with my suggestions, I at least could look my students in the eye and say, I advocated for you, you know. Um, so, yeah, wow. I tried. <laughs> So you took a job because you needed a job, like so many of us do, and it turned in to be so exponentially more, not only for yourself, but for the students that you had. It's it's an amazingly beautiful story. Oh, thank you. I, I feel very humbled to have had that impact, truly. And so what are you doing now? I know that you've moved on from English as a second language, teaching it and you've moved on to um, building curriculum? Yeah, that's right, that's right. So I, in 2019, I went to Cambodia for four months and worked with a nonprofit that had uh, an education program. And so it worked with first year gen or first generation uh, female students. And I was teaching their curriculum and it wasn't as ESL friendly. And so I thought, well, you know, let, let me, shoot my shot, as the kids say. Um, and <laughs> the director said, sure, you know, we'll hire you to be uh, our curriculum consultant and you can make improvements. And so I would work with the local Kamai staff. Uh, we were all, of course, Zoom and just getting things that are just going back to my ESL teaching days and uh, the empathy that came from those years and and just still really connecting with, I mean, these are forever lessons for me. So I bring that into my curriculum. You know, I specifically work with nonprofits, whether they have an international audience or not. Um, I've realized having that background in ESL, it's it's been critical. You know, we all want to be understood. Uh, we all want to know why we're here and how this is going to impact us. So, yeah. Wow. What a great story. Thank you so much for being here today. This was one of my favorite conversations, I think, so far. Oh, well, thank you for having me, Robin. I I have very, very fond memories of ESL. And I don't think, I mean, I still have pictures. Oh, my gosh, we could probably spend hours, but 
we'll keep it short. (laughs) So thank you. Alrighty, listeners, hopefully you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please like us, share with your friends, and let everybody know about the Health Ability Project podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email me at thehealthabilityproject at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today at the Health Ability Project. We'd love to hear from you, so please email us your questions, comments, or suggestions, including future guests, to the Healthability Project at gmail.com. And please like us, subscribe, and share us with your friends.